mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, why some home buyers, particularly first-timers, who are increasingly being squeezed in the red-hot real estate market of today, may be buying themselves even more trouble tomorrow. Also this morning, a conversation with Congressman Bob Latta about the passage of important legislation to combat the resurgent opioid epidemic. And in today's Everyday Agriculture Report, here's something to cool you off as we sweat through the hottest week of the summer. Christmas tree growers are working hard in the record-breaking heat to get those trees ready for when winter rolls around. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, August 12, 2021. It is Baseball Fans Day, and so designated because this was the first day of the Major League Baseball players' strike that wiped out the 1994 World Series. And, of course, the mantra at the time is all about the millionaires, the owners, the players, and it was the, the fans that got hosed in all of that. And so today, Baseball Fans Day. I don't know if this is just a coincidence. I'm sure it is. But tonight is the Field of Dreams game. Uh, at, in Iowa, the cornfield in Iowa, they built the, uh, a bit, built the stadium. won't actually be at the Field of Dreams itself. They built a uh, second Field of Dreams to Major League Baseball specifications right next to the field of dreams that everybody uh, visits in Iowa, if you remember the movie. So, but they will play there uh, tonight. It was the White Sox and the Yankees that will that will play the field of dreams game tonight in primetime under the lights on Fox. Uh, also, today is IBM PC Day uh, in honor of the uh, first IBM PC that was released on this day in, what was it, 1981. So, what, 40 years ago? Yeah. Uh, again, make you feel old. First IBM PC shipped with Bill Gates' Microsoft DOS 1.0. And uh, so IBM PC day today. International Youth Day, it is National Julienne Fries Day, National Middle Child Day, big salute to all of the middle children, National Truck Driver Day, although I would go on a, out on a limb and say every day is Truck Driver Day, uh, thank you to those who bring all of the stuff uh, that, uh, that we need for our lives, what product doesn't get trucked. Uh, Truck Driver Day, Vinyl Record Day. Vinyl has made a big comeback in recent years. And now is, I believe, someone will correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe vinyl is once again the primary source of recorded music for more Americans. Vinyl passed CD sales. Vinyl sales exceeded CD sales for the past couple of years. And uh, so it is the preferred method of physical uh music sales uh not digital you know excluding digital and streaming and all of that 
physical music sales. Most of it is done on vinyl today. And it is uh, World Elephant Day today, too. So some of the celebrations. Um, this has been kind of interesting, a story to follow. We've been following all season long uh, this summer. Air travel in the U.S. has bounced back from the depths of the pandemic. Came back so fast, in fact, that some airlines were not ready and uh, not ready to handle it. Uh, they have had uh, employee issues and flight delays and things have been backed up. But then came the current Delta variant driven resurgence of the virus, and it is now starting to affect airlines once again. Southwest said yesterday it is seeing weaker bookings this month, and it expects that will likely continue into uh, September if the COVID case count remains high. Frontier Airlines also said last week that it was seeing a decline in bookings. A report in the Washington Post suggested that in addition to people being wary of flying again because of this latest COVID surge, they could also be canceling because popular destinations like Florida have become hotspots, as well as because some places are reimposing COVID restrictions, which is causing people to think twice about traveling. United last week became the first U.S. airline to require employees be vaccinated against COVID, too. So so anyway, kind of interesting, this uh, whole thing uh, following the back and forth uh, in the uh, travel industry. But after a resurgent summer, now uh, travel demand is waning again. Uh, some of the other uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. The California Energy Commission voted yesterday to require solar panels and battery energy storage systems in new commercial buildings and some multifamily residences beginning in 2023. It will be required to have solar panels for new construction. Um, this comes after a mandate went into effect last year requiring that all new low-rise residential buildings in the state include solar power. So new homes have to have solar panels as well in California. I love California. I mean, if you've ever visited California, it's a beautiful state. I mean, what's not to love? Yeah, I mean, there's it, there's everything in California. You've got the beach, you've got the mountains, you've got... I mean, it's just gorgeous. But who can afford to live there? And here is another example of why. Uh, these uh, requirements, part of California's effort to transition from fossil fuels in the fight against climate change, in addition to requiring solar panels, the Energy Commission also plans to offer incentives to eliminate natural gas from new buildings. We were talking about that a few weeks ago. And they also want to add batteries to solar power arrays in single-family homes, um, which, again, would make sense on some level. Uh, you'd have battery storage of the solar power that is generated throughout the day that could uh, then power a home when the sun's not shining. But again, this is adding thousands upon thousands of dollars in cost to housing in California. And it's just at some at some point, you, you reach the breaking point, don't you? Um, speaking of the... I don't know, this whole, uh, I don't know, it's the, the whole liberal idea of uh, this is, we know, what's, we know what's good for you, what's not good for you. This is a new study published in the journal Science Direct, finds that bottled water is 
3,500 times more harmful to the environment than drinking water out of the tap. 3,500 times more harmful to the environment. Primary reason, the bottle itself. According to the study, it turns out that it takes three times the amount of water to make the bottle than what is actually put inside the bottle, along with the oil required to make the plastic. The oil needed to make plastic water bottles yearly could be used to power hundreds of thousands of homes in the United States. Except that, of course, we're going solar for all of those now, but you get the idea. Beyond that, the bottles are primarily used once and then discarded, making a refillable water bottle a better option. So, there you go. Science has spoken. 35, and bottled water 3,500 times more harmful to the environment than tap water. I don't know. I find that number a little hard to believe, but that's what they say. Who am I to argue with the scientists? Um, this is kind of interesting. Uh, according to a new report in The Independent, Americans are signing up for survival classes at an increasing rate. According to this report, the popularity of survival courses has been growing since the early 2000s, but experienced a boom in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic. Jason Marsteiner, founder of Colorado Mountain Men Survival and the Survival University, says he saw his business triple in 2020. He says, people sense an impending doom. They feel like something is about to happen, a shift in our society, a shift in our way of life, and they want to be prepared for whatever that may look like. To be able to forage off the land and to be able to do whatever it takes to get by. (laughs) It is the breakdown in society. It's coming and we have to be prepared. But that's I mean, that's what we're that's where we're at now. That's where we're at in the world today. And lastly, among the first things you need to know this morning, the most important thing you need to know today, this is it. If you only take one thing away from today's program, this is it. The most important thing to know today. Duncan is bringing back its pumpkin-flavored offerings on August 18th. That's right, we have a date. It is coming up next week. The menu will include new items like the pumpkin cream cold brew and pumpkin spice signature latte, along with classic pumpkin-flavored coffees, donuts, muffins, and munchkins donut hole treats. From August 18th, as part of the rollout of this, from August 18th through September 14th, fans can score a medium pumpkin cream cold brew or a medium pumpkin spice signature latte for a special price of just $3 while supplies last. You're welcome. Now, your day is complete. (laughs) We now have a date for pumpkin spice returning to the world. And there you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. WFIN News, I'm John Marshall. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast, partly cloudy, hot and humid today with a high near 90, breezy with a slight chance of showers and thunderstorms. 
More than 50 new cases of COVID-19 have been reported in Hancock County over the last seven days. Hancock Public Health noted on Wednesday that the transmission rate now falls in the substantial category. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recommends that everyone wear a mask indoors when transmission is substantial, regardless of vaccination status. Fueled by the Delta variant, daily reports of new COVID-19 cases across the state have nearly quadrupled over the last three weeks. That's according to information released Wednesday by the Ohio Department of Public Health. Thunderstorms that passed through the area Wednesday morning caused moderate damage while knocking out power to over 3,000 AEP electricity customers in the listening area. The utility had hoped to restore power by mid-afternoon, but a second band of thunderstorms hampered that effort. Many of those affected were in the downtown area of Findlay from Center Street south to 6th Street. The Findlay Post Office, county offices, juvenile and probate courts, and a variety of businesses were among those without power for hours. A man slated to take over as interim Ohio State Schools superintendent has resigned before he even started the job. John Richard had been deputy state superintendent for four years and was supposed to take over when the current leader, Paolo DeMaria, retires on September 24th. He won't be doing that and announced in an email that he's out and will be working at a nonprofit in Stark County instead. American Airlines is cutting a popular route out of the Toledo Express Airport. Service from Toledo to Charlotte Douglas International Airport will stop in November. The Port Authority says this is a decision made by the airline, not by the authority itself. The hope is that American Airlines will resume the service at some point. Service from Toledo Express to Charlotte began in August of 2017. More news online anytime at WFIN.com. Informat Demcheck. I'm John Marshall, WFIN News. Well, it has been well documented that the red-hot real estate market has left many buyers in a squeeze. And as a result, some of those buyers have been forced into decisions that could actually bring even potentially more trouble on down the road. Bankrate.com analyst Jeff Ostrowski is with us this morning. And Jeff, this all boils down to the fact that America's stock of homes in general is aging, right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, since the Great Recession, builders just haven't been building at the same pace that they used to. Like I, I remember a generation ago, it was pretty common if you were shopping for a home to to go out and and see a builder, tour some model homes, and uh, and order up your house that was going to be built brand new. And that's really not an option uh, it, as much as it used to be. And not only that, it's uh, you know again when we talk about uh, buying homes where you're not the first owner buying used homes, as it were. Uh, I think of that term with cars, not with homes, but you know, buying a pre-owned uh, uh, home, the median age is not you know five or 10 years, it's 39 years. And it says here 65% of America's homes were actually built before 1989. So that is a, a huge segment of rather old homes that, again, 30 years in, that's when a lot of big things start need to be repaired. Yeah, exactly. You can have foundation issues, roof right. issues. Yeah. Uh, you know, probably the AC has been replaced once or twice. Windows. Uh, the electrical system can be aging. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, all of that. Now, I, I can hear some people say, wait a minute, how can this be 
that so many homes, you know, that, that we're to that point of this aging um, stock of homes. I mean, we see new construction going up all the time. Right. Um, you do see new construction. The numbers are just lower than than they used to be. And, uh, you know, part of that is that uh, builders now are really focusing on the high end of the market. So, uh, you, you know, maybe back in the, the 80s and in 90s, you could buy a, a starter home, a brand new starter home for 100 grand. Um, and builders aren't really focusing on that end of the market anymore. They're, they're very much focusing on the more expensive, yeah. higher end homes. And that, that's because land has gotten more expensive, labor costs and supplies have gotten more expensive, and the, the bigger margins are going to be in the uh, in the more expensive homes. Yeah, not just uh, a lack of starter homes, but even lower middle class homes. I mean, this is uh, housing for the upper middle class and above that's really uh, going up. So that is really uh, at the heart of us. So in the uh, in the middle of this tight competition for the inventory that is available. Buyers are doing some risky things like, for example, waiving home inspections. Right, right. And uh, and the smart move there is to not waive the inspection entirely. So don't skip the inspection. It's, uh, you know, it's one thing to, to assure the seller, hey, I'm not going to use what the inspector finds to, to kill the deal. And that's... If that's something you have to do, then go ahead and do it. But waiving the inspection altogether is is not a good idea. So even if you uh, if you waive the inspection contingency, you should still hire an inspector to come in and, and look at the house. And uh, you know, I, I mean, obviously, if there's scuffed paint on the walls, that's uh, no big deal. Mm-hmm. If the the foundation is uh, is deteriorating, or if you, you need a new roof that's going to cost fifteen thousand dollars, that's a, a different story. Um, so, yeah, pay a few hundred bucks to an inspector and uh, it, and just to really get a feel for, for whether the house is structurally sound and how much you might have to spend to bring it up to, uh, the, to code and to, to modern safety standards. Again, circling back to the fact that uh, especially when such a large percentage of the homes are uh, getting around that 30-year age range where these things can uh, start to come up with increasing frequency. And then uh, even if there is a home inspection, uh, obviously, you still are going to have regular maintenance so that things don't become a problem on down the line. And as prices increase for all homes, a uh, number of buyers, especially first-time buyers, may be stretched to the limit just paying the mortgage and not have the means uh, to account for maintenance and repair. Right. So, yeah, that's definitely something you should consider when you're you're buying an older house or a fixer-upper. Um, and as you mentioned, a lot of first-time buyers are, are emptying the, the checking account just to uh, make the down payment and cover the closing costs. And so they don't have a lot of cushion uh, for, for paying for repairs. So you want to be realistic. You, you want to... Uh, if there are going to be some significant repairs, you want to have a, a contractor come in and give you an, an estimate. And keep in mind that estimates uh, or that that cost is going to be more than the estimate. <laughs> it's uh, you know it's, yeah. it's rare that uh, the work comes in at, at or below the uh, the estimated costs. Um, and uh, the, paying for the, these repairs can be difficult. Uh, I mean, a lot of people use credit cards, but uh, you want to make sure you, if you do that, that you pay off the balance quickly, but so you don't get hit with double-digit right. interest rates. And there are some loan programs that will let you 
borrow against not just the purchase price of the home, but against the the after renovations value of the home. And there, there's one program from the Federal Housing Administration uh, called the FHA 203K loan that uh, lets you you borrow more than you pay for the house. Um, so, if, for example, say you're, you, the house is two hundred thousand, but it, it'll be worth two fifty after you do the renovations. Then you can borrow against that future value mm. um, with, with some caveats that you you know you, you and, need to uh, prove to the, the lender that you're you're spending the money on uh, on, on right. upgrades rather than a trip to Vegas. But right. uh, but yeah, that is one way to uh, to get around the financial squeeze that you just mentioned and you uh mentioned the magic words for a growing number of people uh and and maybe it's uh, been triggered by all of the uh renovation tv shows that are out there but fixer uppers uh have uh really come into their own as what some see as a viable alternative but there are an awful lot of caveats here (laughs) exactly so yeah, you, you can have two homes next door to each other, both built uh, 40 years ago by the same builder, and you really just don't know how those two homes have been maintained over the decades. So the one house could be in pristine condition and, and meticulously maintained, and, and the other could need a ton of work. So um, it's there. there is some element of surprise and, and mystery when you uh, when you take the plunge and invest in a fixer-upper. Would, would it be safe to say that uh, a fixer-upper really should only be on the table for someone who does have that, that kind of cushion that we were talking about? That, uh, I mean, if you're a, a first-time buyer, if you're thinking fixer-upper just because there's no other way you can uh, get into the market, then maybe you might be biting off more than you can chew. Right, right. Well, and there are, I mean, there are different levels of the fixer-uppers. I mean, it's the, if the, the house is just unsafe and uninhabitable, then yes, you're going to sure. need the, the money to, uh, to make the repairs before you can even move in. Um, on the other hand, if it's just that, uh, you know, you still have, uh, Formica countertops and linoleum <laughs> floors. Fair and, enough. And you want to get rid of those eventually. Um, I mean, you can, you can live in the house and while you save up some, some money to to put in the kitchen that you want, so it's uh, I, it, it's really just a, a matter of degree. I mean, if, if there are cosmetic improvements that you you want to make but don't have to make, that that's a different story than if the uh, you know the the electrical system is uh, right it doesn't work and the roof is leaking. Yeah, and, and that actually kind of uh, leads to the the I guess overall. Uh, point uh, to make or the message uh, to those who may be feeling uh, the squeeze of this uh, red hot ultra tight uh, real estate market you know if if it is a matter of uh, too much time to allow for the home inspection that the reason why you're waiving a home inspection is because you want to uh, need to close quicker uh, if it is a, a, a situation where the only way we can get in to the housing market, get a new home or get a home is by uh, buying a fixer upper and so on. Is it maybe better to wait a little bit longer for things to cool off a, a, a little bit and, and maybe miss out on the ultra low interest rates and all of the things that are driving the red hot real estate market uh, so that, again, you don't ultimately get yourself into more trouble later on? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess uh, that's there. Are kind of two parts to that question. Um, if you're, if you're going to wind up in a, you know, situation where you're taking on a, a 
too much debt at uh, at unaffordable rates just to get into the housing market, then I, I would say no, don't do that. Yeah. But in, in terms of trying to time the housing market, I mean, it, it, this has been just such a baffling market. Uh, <laughs> I remember 15 months ago when the pandemic first hit, it, everyone in the housing market it, it assumed that we were going to go into another housing crash. Right. And that's not what happened. The opposite happened. So... I, I mean, it's it's almost impossible to know where home prices are and mortgage rates are going to be in six months or a year or two years. So, um, so trying trying to make that uh, that bet is is yeah. pretty tricky. I, but uh, but back to the the other part of the question, which is you know about your financial wherewithal. Um, I would say if if you just can't afford to uh, to comfortably make some of these repairs and, and pay for them without high interest debt, then I would say, no, you're not ready yeah. and, and uh, don't do it now. As the ultimate message is, and this has always been true, but uh, emphasis on this, especially right now, we got to start thinking big picture, not the, not just tunnel vision of the here and now. Yeah, exactly. Again, bankrate.com analyst uh, Jeff Ostrowski with us this morning. Jeff, thanks very much for the insight. We appreciate it. Okay. Thanks a lot. I appreciate the opportunity. Yesterday, Congressman Bob Latta was in town. U.S. Representative Bob Latta uh, had a uh, couple of uh, events here in Finley, and during the course of uh, his afternoon schedule, dropped by our studio for a conversation about a very important piece of legislation. No, not the one that has been grabbing the headlines of late, although we'll talk a little bit about infrastructure as well. But no, uh, recently the president signed, Congress passed and the president signed an important piece of legislation authored by Congressman Latta aimed at combating the resurgent opioid epidemic. This is a a piece of legislation that you authored, uh, recently signed into law by the president, the Debarment Enforcement of Bad Actor Registrants Act or Debar Act. What exactly is this and what does it do? Well, you know, we have a real crisis in this country with uh, drugs. And, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, we were working uh, in the House on H.R. 6, which is about 60 pieces of legislation to try to do something with opioids and everything else. And, in fact, I had a, a large event here at University of Finley uh, mm-hmm. and had, uh, you know, the place was packed a lot of, because the stories are really horrific to hear from families. Yeah. And one of the problems, you know, of course, what we've seen is that, unfortunately, during COVID, all of a sudden, drugs, drug usage went up. And from that 73,000 people that we lost from drug overdoses, now it went to 90, over 93,000 people died last year from drug overdoses. And what we want to make sure is, is that, uh, that in certain cases, you've got uh, uh, distributors, manufacturers are out there that have, uh, you know, violated uh, what they're supposed to be doing. And it could be on a Friday that they're shut down, but they're back in operation on Monday. And so we want to make sure that you cannot do that anymore. And so that's the legislation really makes sure that uh, there's teeth out there that stop these bad actors from coming back again. You mentioned that in the middle of this pandemic over the course of the, the past year, we've actually seen a rise in the uh, number of uh, overdose deaths. And that was one of the one of the points that, that I want to is this has been kind of the um, overlooked crisis or maybe uh, we thought that we had this beat and we are really far from getting this completely under control. 
Well, you're absolutely correct because, again, like I mentioned, uh, it's been several years ago we did H.R. Uh, 6 in the House of Representatives, and it came out of our Committee of Energy and Commerce. We had over 60 bills. It was bipartisan. We had uh, uh, one of my pieces of legislation was, it was called the Info Act because I was hearing from people across my district saying that, hey, we, we, we don't know where to get help, and a lot of the, uh, of the uh, service groups out there or the services didn't know where to go. So make sure that we actually had uh, something out there. So you had like a dashboard that needs to be created. Right. So that was part of it. But, you know, we, we did. We, we heard, you know, these horrible stories of, you know, uh, parents coming in saying that their son or daughter wanted to finally get clean. And uh, it was on a, you know, on a Thursday and they went someplace and they found out that it'd be three weeks before they could get in for treatment. That night they overdosed and died. Yeah. So uh, we, we have seen a huge increase. I mean, when you think about 90, over 93 people, thousand people dying in a year, it's not going down. It's staggering. It up. Yeah. So we, we need to do something in this country. So this, uh, this act, the, uh, the DeBar Act, would, uh, after bad actors are shut down, uh, would give the attorney general the uh, ability to basically keep them shut down and prevent them from reapplying to uh, continue to, uh, to operate. Would there be, just playing devil's advocate here, would there be any appeal? Because that gives the attorney general a great deal uh, of power. Uh, I can envision uh, somebody saying, Hey, wait a minute! There was, you know, what happened to me is not uh, worthy of uh, of that. Well, you know, and again, when you're talking about bad actors, a lot of times this is something that's been continuous, and it's it's not something that's just happened once. It's, mm-hmm. This is something that's been a, a long stream. So, but it does give them that opportunity to say that look, you, you can shut these people down and keep them down, and it's because again, we we just have too many of this, uh, of these uh, types of operations going on that have got to be stopped. This is uh, an amendment to the Controlled Substance Act, which has been around for a long time. How has this been uh, allowed, this loophole been allowed to exist for uh, all this time up to now? Yeah, uh, how did it, you become yeah, aware? That, that's a great question, because, again, this is something that uh, we found out. Uh, uh, we, we've been working on this piece of legislation for a while. Mm-hmm. And, again, it's just one of these things we had to work through. And I know that uh, I had a conversation uh, with the uh, minority whip over in the Senate uh, or I'm sorry, the majority whip, I'm sorry, Dick Durbin on this. Mm-hmm. And uh, because we, I wanted to make sure this piece of legislation could get through. And uh, so, you know, I was very happy when they, because they, it went through over in the Senate, because a lot of times, you know, the Senate is a place where good bills go to die, as we like to say <laughs> in the House. Well, it is interesting. I mean, this, uh, as you mentioned, this has been a while in, in coming. It originally passed the House uh, back in, in April. I think it says here the vote was 411 to 5. Did the did the five who voted no give you any explanation? Yeah, you know, no, uh, we always have a few contrarians <laughs> out there. <laughs> did the vote no, but, uh, but you know, when you get a vote of 411, that's, that's pretty yeah, good. Yeah, that's, to be able that's, to that's pretty solid. Great way to go. Passed the Senate in July, recently signed uh, into law by... By the uh, by, the president, and I guess uh, this is maybe a bit of a sidebar uh, on this, but I think a point worth making is that this is an example, perhaps, of the fact that. Uh, Congress uh, and and the federal government can actually work on more than one thing at a time because we said there's a certain piece of legislation that has been very much in the news over the past couple of weeks. This is not that, and yet this uh, obviously. Well, you're absolutely correct because what you usually see is uh, what the news media is talking about, or maybe two, three, or four pieces of legislation. But right. then you look at all the others. I, again, I serve on the Energy and Commerce Committee, so that means we have over energy, healthcare, telecommunications. Uh, the environment. We also have a commerce uh, subcommittee. 
And so when uh, I've, I've, I've spent time in all of them, I serve on three right now. I'm, I'm the ranker on telecommunications. So when uh, what happens is, is that everything else kind of gets uh, waylaid, you might say, that people aren't knowing about, but we keep working on it. There's, there's pieces of legislation out there you can work on in a bipartisan manner. It's just like uh, uh, my several cents piece of legislation passed the House. I had uh, uh, Jerry McNerney from California, a Democrat, uh, was, uh, I wor- he worked with me on it. I worked on the uh, uh, improving the electric grid with him on public-private partnership on that. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, uh, you, know you, you work with people on the committee that uh, you've got uh, areas that we've got to get things done on. Especially, you know, uh, when sometimes you know, how do you work with somebody that you know is a Democrat? And I said, well, you know, maybe ninety-seven percent of the time we're going to cancel each other's votes out, but we find something that we can agree on to work on that's important to get things done. I would be remiss if I didn't bring up that other piece right. of legislation that has uh, certainly been in the news, and that is the uh, infrastructure bill, the bipartisan infrastructure bill. Uh, that passed uh, passed the house again looking at the uh, at the senate what may happen uh, next your thoughts on the bipartisan part of that the the bipartisan bill that has uh, passed the right because people are probably hearing of this there's a couple of things out right. there there's the 1.1 trillion which is the quote unquote i do kind of say quote unquote infrastructure because a lot more in it than just infrastructure and then there's the 3.5 trillion and it's it's hard to say right. these trillions uh, that's out there on the, on the budget side. But on the infrastructure side, you know, we all know we need to keep our roads and bridges up. We need to make sure that uh, we can get to work every day and they're safe. And, uh, you know, in, in this, what they included in it were two pieces of my legislation. One was the CyberSense piece of legislation to make sure that uh, on, the, on the grid that uh, when you were putting equipment in that, you know, that it's safe and sound. Yeah, I think we were talking about yep. that the last time yep. we talked with you. About- and so another piece of legislation that I've worked on uh, with Jerry McNerney. But, uh, you know, you look down the line of, of all these, there's some good things in there, like letting uh, uh, folks under the, from 18 to 21 get a CDL to cross state lines because we need truck drivers. Mm-hmm. You know, you can drive truck right now in the state of Ohio, but you can't go across like in Indiana. So that, that's, that's in there. However, then you got to look at the other part of this. How do you pay for this thing? And we, there are really no true pay-fors in this 1.1 trillion dollars yeah that's the uh, among those uh 30 or so uh house republicans who voted against this that was i I think the main argument the main sticking point and uh, obviously the counter argument is that investing in infrastructure is something that pays for itself uh over time well in over time you know you might say that but what happens is is in this case the, the congressional budget office made a score on this and it's saying it's 256 billion dollars in the red Meaning it's going to be added to the debt, and I'm a, I, years ago when I served on the budget committee. This is important because again, for people to just think that you know, ten years is a long way off, but it's going to be here before you know it. That right now, the the estimate is we're going to pay eight hundred billion dollars just to pay interest on the debt. We could be talking if the Democrats, since they passed the one point nine trillion, they get this thing passed, then you start looking at down the road to another three point five trillion they want to. We may be up to a trillion dollars a year in interest payments. How do, how do you run the rest of the government when all you're doing is paying interest to the Chinese and the Japanese? And we owe, owe uh, about $7 trillion right now to foreign uh, countries. But the other thing is, is this, I think it's important to note, <clears throat> farming, that about 20, about 20 cents out of every dollar does not go right now on the roads and bridges. It's being siphoned off into mass transit and things like that. And 
well, maybe if you want mass transit, you if you're in a city, you ought to get take out bonds and things like that to pay for it. But so your your uh, dollars are going to go someplace that's not even going to do anything with a road and a bridge. Just think if we had that twenty percent back every year for roads and bridges. So it's there's a lot of, there's a lot in this piece of legislation that really has to be looked at. But I tell you, just the cost alone and what we're going to push off down the road, not this this generation. But the future generations is huge. To say nothing of the uh, the second part of the legislation that the Democrats are are proposing through reconciliation, which is uh, about triple the uh, the price tag. Well, absolutely. And again, for people to understand what reconciliation is, means that they can get a piece of if they go through uh, budget reconciliation, they don't. Uh, there's no filibuster over in the Senate. They can pass it because it's fifty fifty right now in the Senate. So. The vice president will break the tie. Yeah, and uh, so it, it's 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 a massive both, amount. Both parties have used reconciliation uh, to their advantage uh, in in the past. Is there anything that can be done to to stop that from from happening? Well, you know, reconciliation. It was back in 1974 in the Budget Act that you know, and part of it was to try to get things under control. And what we're seeing though is is it's going out of control. <laughs> and the opposite uh, because effect. what we're going to see is that the Democrats are going to want to raise taxes, and so. A lot of people say, well, uh, we've heard it's only going to affect the rich. But, you know, we have to remember that when you have these massive amounts of spending going on, inflation is going to be right behind it. And people are probably right now going to the pump. I put a lot of miles on my car when I'm home during the work periods. You know, up 45.6% in gas prices since last year. And so when you look at all these things in line and this massive spending, it's going to come home to roost because, you know, everything's going up. Food prices and people got to remember that when 82.5% of everything comes into the state of Ohio is trucked, they use fuel. Yeah. Again, uh, Congressman Bob Latta with us uh, this morning. Uh, more on the uh, DeBar Act. The uh, DeBar, I want to make sure that I get this right. The Debarment Enforcement of Bad Actor Registrants uh, Act. We've got uh, information on that linked up uh, at our webpage. You can uh, learn more about it there. Congressman, thanks very hey, much. Thanks for very much, Bill. Appreciate it. Flag City Balloon Fest is back this weekend. In case you missed it, day before yesterday, Kelly Bibbler was with us in the studio. The preview of one of the biggest balloon events in the Midwest. This has really grown to be a huge uh, annual event, except for last year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's the big asterisk behind everything, yeah. I think, except for 2020. This is a uh, an anniversary year, isn't this it? This is our 21st. 21st. Year. Yeah, so last year. year would have been our 20th. 20th. Yeah, so this is kind of 20, 20 plus 20, 1. 21. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like the Olympics. It's right, 20, it's Tokyo 20, 2020, yeah. 2021. This is kind yeah. of the same, same type of deal. So it's yes, the 20th. Yes. Balloon Fest, 21st year, 20th yes, uh, yes, Balloon yes. Fest. So a, a big deal and a lot of balloons once oh, again yeah, this year. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We have over 40 balloons that will be here wow. over the weekend. And like you said, this is one of the premier events. So um, pilots like this event. They like coming here and, and putting on the show for Well, what's not to community. like? I mean, right? Exactly. Yeah. Duh. You know, we've talked about this uh, in the past. This is actually, I mean, it's an exhibition, but it's also a competition for yeah. a lot of these balloonists. Yeah, they have, um, there's actually prizes that they'll give away to them they'll have certain things that they have to do they have to drop a, a flag and and hit a target yeah and stuff yeah. like that the, yeah so the yeah. 
pilot skills uh, yes. are put to the test yes. uh, all of this that's that's uh, part of it that the public really doesn't see right. but right. it, it right. is uh, one of the reasons why so many uh, balloonists right. come to exactly. this event yeah so when you see those balloons flying over like saturday morning chances are pretty good that they're also in a competition yeah Obviously, what uh, draws the crowds out are the sights of the balloons, and there are all kinds of special balloons that are coming this year. Yeah, we have actually six special shapes coming this year. So we have um, Augie, he's a dragon. Um, We have Claude, he's a crab. (laughs) We have um, Yellowbird and Putty Tat. We have, um, trying to think, Carnival, which is like a three-faced kind of joker kind of. Okay jester kind of thing all right um space cowboy i think i lost one in there somewhere but there's another (laughs) one too i'm sure it'll come to me at 3 a.m but yeah and they come from all over they do i mean we have some that are coming from las vegas yeah so So not flying in no i i would imagine (laughs) not traveling in yeah yeah, yeah, over the road yeah but at the same uh same time no it is uh it is really cool to have uh balloonists from uh, all over and a lot of things going on other than just the balloons yes I mean, obviously, that's the draw, but, um, you know, we have about 35,000 people that'll come, mm-hmm. that come to the event every huge year. Event. So it is, it's a huge event. And so we try to make sure we have something for everybody. It's a family friendly event. So we have a kids area that will have inflatables, petting zoo. There's five different bands that'll play throughout the weekend. So electric circus, cherry bombs, just a couple of the ones that'll be there between Friday and Saturday night. We have um, a beer tent. So Take your kids to the kids' area, refresh, and listen to some music. But um, one of our big things is our glow encounter. So that's at night at Emory Adams. They'll fire up the balloons that are sitting out on the field. So that's pretty cool. You can come watch. It doesn't cost anything. But if you want to get up close and personal, um, we offer the glow encounter where you can sort of walk around through the balloons. Oh, that's cool. Get a special souvenir. So I've actually done that. It's so amazing. So tickets are available uh, for that, right? There's just a limited number of those. Yeah, the glow encounter. Yeah. So that they go on our website, they can. um, There's a, a link to the glow encounter where they can purchase their tickets what are some of the other uh, things that are uh, going on highlights that you want to uh, make sure that we get out there sure so we have um a craft fair a vendor craft fair that's going on friday and saturday we'll have fireworks there's helicopter rides there'll be a canine demonstration with the sheriff's department and the police department lots of food lots of fun and again admission is free yeah we don't so we don't charge that's, any we that's don't the charge admission part. to the event i do have one plea if i could ask um we are in need for volunteers still this year sure um we definitely need people to help crew crew the balloons so help get them ready and then help them put them back when they're done so that's on our website but um, we would like to have some people some more people volunteer for that so that's a need that we still have how cool would that be be part of the uh, balloon crew Uh, More information about uh, all of the happenings uh, at Balloon Fest coming up uh, tomorrow and Saturday uh, at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net if you want to hear the uh, full interview with uh, Kelly Bibbler with all of the details. Uh, Check out the podcast edition from Tuesday's show, day before yesterday's when uh, Kelly was here uh, with that uh, full preview. It's all at goodmornings.net. We'll see you out at Emory Adams this weekend for what will hopefully be a uh, great reboot of the Flag City Balloon Fest 20th anniversary plus one. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a special, uh, as a public service, uh, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services.
In today's broken news, there is breaking news, and then there is the news that is already broken. This is the broken news. Today's parenting fail uh, comes from uh, Great Britain, uh, where a six-year-old's birthday party went horribly wrong after the special guest came out to entertain the kids. Uh, this is a video on TikTok shows kids fleeing in fear after mom and dad thought it would be a good idea to surprise their daughter with a visit from Bigfoot. <laughs> Jog that up to the category of thought it would be a good idea, and it sounded like a good idea at the time. Bigfoot comes out, and uh, the kids uh, all take off screaming in horror when the monster enters holding balloons. <laughs> Everybody starts screaming and running for their lives. On the upside, it will be a birthday party that they will not soon forget. So there's that. Speaking of uh, online nonsense, a Nevada woman is in trouble with the law uh, after borrowing her boyfriend's children in order to get publicity for her GoFundMe campaign. Dasha Kelly started an online fundraiser in July asking strangers to help her and her daughters stay in their home. They were going to be evicted. Um, the family even appeared on CNN in August, and that is when the girl's biological mother came forward. It turns out that the children are not Ms. Kelly's, but her boyfriend and neither her boyfriend nor the girls live with Ms. Kelly. So <laughs> in all kinds of trouble now. <laughs> Duh. <clears throat> Elsewhere in the broken news, in Canada, this is kind of crazy. What a sight this must have been. A Canadian man, 34-year-old, whose name is not given in the report here, 34-year-old man under arrest for taking his helicopter to Dairy Queen to pick up an ice cream cake. <laughs> now, he is a licensed pilot. Uh, this happened in Saskatchewan. Uh, back at the end of uh, last month, on uh, July 31st, as a matter of fact, he can be seen uh, landing the aircraft in a high-traffic parking lot, blowing up dust and debris. Because the landing was not an emergency, it was deemed, deemed illegal to land the helicopter in the area. The pilot has now been charged with one count of dangerous operation of an aircraft. <laughs> that's, what, that's what happens when you want Dairy Queen and you want it right now. Take your... Personal <laughs> helicopter to the Dairy Queen. I can understand that. I mean, I've uh, I've had cravings for a blizzard before. This, but no, can't do that. Uh, this from uh, Maryland. A, an important uh, note, an important driving tip. When a road is blocked off, there is usually a reason. Unfortunately for one driver, um, they learned, to, uh, learned the hard way. Uh, that uh, you really shouldn't drive around road-closed signs, ended up submerged in the middle of a sinkhole. A road in Clinton, Maryland, had been blocked off so that a crew could repair a broken water main, which had uh, led to a sinkhole. Um, but the uh, driver was not deterred. He drove through the cones and uh, the signs closing off the area, and then he realized it a little too late. This is according to Luis Maya, spokesperson for the Washington Suburban Sanitary Commission. 
He said the sinkhole was plenty deep to cover the vehicle. It was about 8 to 12 foot wide. Aerial photos of the incident show a Cadillac submerged in the sinkhole. Fortunately, the driver, whose name was not uh, given, uh, suffered only minor injuries. The car, on the other hand, is probably totaled. So. <laughs> Maybe that was it. Maybe he wanted a new car. I don't know. But anyway, that's... <laughs> Gee, I wonder why all of these cones and road closed signs are here. I'll just never mind. It can't be that bad, can it? And finally, in the <laughs> broken news this morning, um, I'm not sure exactly uh, where this is, um, but uh, a, a man by the name of Alan Slattery, age 67, uh, is in trouble with the law. Uh, his horrific handwriting to blame for his epic bank robbing fail. Uh, Mr. Slattery slipped a note to the bank teller demanding cash, but the bank employee had no idea what was actually written on the note. Basically, Mr. Slattery's handwriting and spelling was so bad, his eyes looked like G's, he misspelled several words, the bank teller was unable to give him what he wanted because he couldn't read the note. After he left, the bank tellers took a closer look at the note, and after a brief session of hooked on phonics <laughs> and consulting the Rosetta Stone, they managed to decipher the text as, uh, your screen won't stop what I've got, just hand over the 10s and 20s, think about the other customers. That's what the note actually read. That's what they figured out. The workers, now he had, he had been long gone uh, when they finally figured out <laughs> what the note actually said. He gave up. The workers, though, uh, alerted police who uh, used closed-circuit security footage to identify the would-be thief. By the time the workers had figured out uh, that uh, the word zoo was actually 20s and the C was an A and all of that, Mr. Slattery did manage to successfully rob a nearby bank and make off with about $3,300. He then tried his luck at another bank branch but left empty-handed, when the bank teller called his bluff, by then, police had caught up to him and charged him with robbery and two counts of attempted robbery. Mr. Slattery verbally pleaded guilty on all charges, as a written agreement would probably have been a disaster. <laughs> that's that's, that's good, uh, good point. He has been sentenced to four years in prison, where hopefully he will uh, take uh, handwriting lessons. There you go. That is uh, today's <laughs> broken news. Uh, this update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. It's the WFIN Virtual Car Show. Get them out, shine them up, and upload a pic of your classic, and we'll post it to WFIN.com for everybody to see. In addition, we'll have an online car show calendar so that you know when and where all the area shows are. It's chrome and horsepower on display online. The WFIN Virtual Car Show and Calendar. Thanks to Details Auto Spa, Loritz Chevrolet Cadillac, and 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. If you're like most people, you probably spend a lot of your time during the workday staring at a screen. And uh, that can leave us a little screen weary. Uh, that combined with the fact that uh, we all can feel like we have an unhealthy relationship with our phones at times, our mobile devices. And because of all of this, 
A growing number of people are deliberately taking time away from their screens. A new survey of 2,000 Americans finds that 56% of those who look at their screens all day try to limit the use of their devices at night. Among those respondents, 59% said taking a break from their devices helped them sleep better. 48% said it made them feel more relaxed. 31% said it made them feel content. I don't know how you define that, but that's what they said. 29% said it made them feel free. (laughs) Feel free. I feel free. I feel liberated from our, our devices. That is a feeling that I can certainly understand. Other ways that people try to limit the use of their devices include not allowing them at the dinner table during mealtime. That's always a good idea. 34% said that was one of the things they try to do. Uh, 31% said uh, keeping their devices away from their bed. Not taking them to the bedroom at all or resisting the urge to grab their device uh, once they've turned in for the night. And an overwhelming 87% of Americans in this survey try to stay away from their devices specifically before going to sleep. Uh, But just under one quarter, 24% said that admitted that they have difficulty staying away from their devices at night. So (laughs) for, for one in four of us, at least, at least that's the number that admit it. It is a losing battle. We get to our everyday agriculture segment here this morning. And here is something to cool you off as we sweat through the hottest week of the summer. Christmas tree growers are hard at work in the record-breaking heat, getting those trees ready for the time that winter rolls around. The season is going to be here before you know it. USDA contributor Gary Crawford has more today's Everyday Agriculture Report. Oh, Christmas tree. Haha, <laughs> strange music for this time of year, but appropriate because right now in many parts of the country, the nation's Christmas tree farmers are having a very busy time. We start trimming the trees, getting a just perfect shape on them for the customers. John Tillman is a Christmas tree farmer from Washington State, and yes... Yes, the hottest part of the summer is when you may hear this sound on tree farms across the country. Some farmers still use these machete-like hand tools to shape and shear the trees. Others use... A motorized trimmer, Texas tree grower Beth Walterscheidt. The trees don't grow naturally in our little Christmas tree shape, so we have to do the shearing. That is the hot work. A lot of hot work. For example, on Jim Gelson's Virginia farm. About 25,000 trees, i got to have them done in 35 days. Wow, and he does that all by himself. He has been a Christmas tree farmer for many, many years. He told me why he's out here in this heat doing this by himself. You can't hire people to shear trees. Because it's part science, part art? Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of hand-eye coordination, and um, anytime you train somebody, they'll ruin two or three hundred trees, just in a training process, and if they're only good, you know, if you only get a year out of them, it, it hadn't been worth it. You know, I've been down that road. 
So he's out here all day shearing 25,000 trees. So he better know what he's doing because he can't spend a lot of time on each tree. You know, I'll trim a tree in 10 to 15 seconds, wow. you know, up to a five-foot tree. Incredible. And as soon as I hit that next tree, you know, i got to spot any flaws in it, and i got to know what I'm going to do to fix it and everything. So it's, it's just a snap decision. But I, I've done so many, I can do it without thinking about it. You know, and I'll have thoughts going on about, you know, my mind will be dancing off somewhere else while I'm sharing trees. Because, like most Christmas tree farmers, he produces lots of other crops, and so he's got more to do than just uh, shearing these trees. I'm redoubling my hay production again for next year, so I've got to shear trees, same time I'm baling hay, and, you know, i got to plant the pumpkins and keep the produce going all at the same time, so... I'm just kind of limited on just how thin I can spread myself. And he's not a young man, but shearing 25,000 trees in the heat of the summer, that is a lot right there. Keeps me fit. <laughs> yeah, it keeps him fit, all right, as he and the many Christmas tree growers around the country work hard to keep those trees fit and in perfect condition for the Christmas season for us a few months from now. Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture, Washington. I feel cooler already. That is amazing, though. Uh, trimming 25,000 trees in the heat of the summer. I mean, so often when you go to the Christmas tree farm right after Thanksgiving, and we don't give a whole lot of thought to all of the effort that goes in year-round to uh, making that happen. So, again, something to think about as we, uh, the rest of us sweat through uh, the hottest week of the summer <laughs> this week. The Christmas tree growers hard at work this time of year to be sure and that will finish off our podcast for today I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program as always remember you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on podcast at our webpage, and that is goodmornings.net coming up tomorrow on the program are you worried about the impact distance learning and prolonged screen time has had on your child's eyesight perhaps you should be we'll explain why and more recipes from Kyra's Kitchen to finish up the week. Until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.